Hey, it's Alan Murabayashi speaking to you from New York City. For those of you who are looking for uh, Sarah Jacobs this week, she's actually on vacation right now, someplace much warmer than New York City, which is experiencing yet another pol polar vortex. So unfortunately, you're going to have to listen to me and see my face for most of the time today. There will be no uh, witty back and forth banter between Sarah and, uh, Sarah and I, but she will join us again next week. Uh, for another series of great photographic topics. But let's get straight into it, because we always find interesting things to talk about. We always find uh, interesting photos that we found on the web. This past week was actually a, a good week for Photo Shelter, at least for our, our staff. And I wanted to show you a couple of things that had happened. Uh, you may have heard of the project called uh, Humans of New York. And it is a, a photographer who started... Uh, taking portraits of uh, people around New York um, and the portraits were fine but I think more what impressed people more were the stories around the portraits so he would take a photo he would ask uh, the subject for uh, uh, you know a quote or you know what's on their mind humans in New York blew up there is a book he was you know he kinda went viral um, and uh, this past week Peter Balderson, who is one of our senior programmers who's been with the company for many, many years, was captured by Humans of New York. And uh, here's this little quote. I'm trying to figure out which direction I should be moving in. And uh, Honey, as we like to call it, says, what direction are you currently moving in? And he says, I'm not sure I'm moving. Peter says he was misquoted. Not necessarily misquoted. I think maybe the quote was sort of truncated and whatnot. And... and Peter's explanation was 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 much more uh, eloquent than this three-line <laughs> distillation, um, but we love it. We love it. So that was this kind of uh, interesting humans of New York experience with Photo Shelter, and then there's a site called uh, Gothamist, which is sort of a I wouldn't say kind of a I, I guess lifestyles of New York. They talk about stuff going on in the various neighborhoods uh, and whatnot. And Farah Vislaley, who runs our client services group, she takes a subway every morning, like uh, most New Yorkers do, and she saw this scene unfolding in front of her, and she took a photo with her phone and then posted it uh, to Gothamist, and it is a couple on the subway popping each other's zits. And she captured this uh, and kind of went you know, mini viral in New York because, you know, we tend to have a pretty high tolerance of things in New York. But when it comes to sort of personal grooming on the subway, you know, it's one thing to apply maybe some makeup or mascara or lipstick on the subway. When people start clipping their toenails and popping zits on the subway, I just, you know, I got to get off the subway car. This is, this is disgusting. So Farah's description of this going on is that she saw this couple... Uh, uh, and she says, quote, I had the pleasure of staring at this lovely, uh, lovely, loving couple for the entire time. I've seen a lot of nasty stuff on the subway, but this is a first. She was going to town, popping his face and neck pimples for almost the whole ride. And it's the kind of thing that if you just saw a headline that says a couple pops each other's zits on the subway, you would think, oh, okay, you know, whatever. But when you see the photo it really kind of brings this to life in the most disgusting way possible. So 
kudos to both Peter and Farah for having uh, a little spotlight shown on them for uh, their photograph or uh, a photograph of them. Uh, if you followed us last week, you might have known that I popped over to Iceland uh, for a little jaunt, a birthday jaunt with my friend, uh, in order to try to see the Northern Lights, which is one of my bucket list items. And I said, well, you know, if I'm going to go see the Northern Lights, I came up with a new acronym. You might have heard of YOLO, you only live once. And I came up with the acronym YOHO, you're only here once. And I said, well, if I'm going to Iceland, normally I try to pack really, really lightly. You know, no check-in baggage. Always try to do the carry-on thing. I saw up in the air. I know what's up. But I said, you know, yo-ho, if I'm going to Iceland, I'm going to take my tripod because if we're lucky enough to see these northern lights, I want to be able to take a photo of it. We went out for three nights. And, you know, the first night, they're like, there they are. And you're like, you look in the sky, and you let your eyes adjust, and you see kind of the faintest wisp of what looks like white or gray. And you're like, oh, yeah, Northern Lights. And then after the first night, you're like, wow, that wasn't really that good. And we went out the second night, and we're like, wow, these are stunning. And then after the second night, you look at the photos, you're like, ah, these aren't that good. The third night, so on the third night, our last night, we went out again. And boy, the, the Northern Lights were out. Northern Lights were out. I mean, they, 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 they get better, but the Northern Lights were out. So here is... I took my trusty Nikon D800. Uh, this is at ISO 6400 at f5.6 for about 15 seconds or so. Let me describe to you what the northern lights are like. So this is uh, solar activity hitting the upper atmosphere. Charged particles get released, and then you get this, this kind of color. Um, now, on a scale from 0 to 10, the northern light activity was a 4. So it wasn't as brilliant as it could be, but it was still pretty great. And it kind of looks like glow-in-the-dark stars on your ceiling from when you are a kid. So you do have to use a longer exposure, but with your naked eye you see what looks kind of like crazy creepy clouds that are very, very three-dimensional. Uh, and here's one I did, kind of a, a self-portrait, uh, using my iPhone to illuminate my face. But it is just wacky, wacky stuff. Um, so since we're on the you know photo shelter people taking photos, I thought I'd show you a few photos. And then the other thing, you know, as photographers, you know about the golden light, the golden hour, that you know four o'clock, five o'clock sunlight that that looks so great. And the thing with being at such a northern latitude, I think Iceland's at you know sixty-six degrees of latitude or seventy degrees of latitude. During the winter, the northern uh, uh, the the golden light is basically the whole day, because the sun never really gets above thirty degrees in the sky, and so we went snowmobiling on our last day as well. And here is, I, I don't know, maybe it's like two p.m. Look how low the 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 sun is there, but you get just the greatest pictures because the landscape is unbelievable. I'm on a snowmobile. My friend is driving. I'm kind of looking backwards, trying not to fall off. Um, and I'm probably at like, you know, two thousandth of a second at f5, f5.6, something like that. And there's not a whole lot of retouching done on this image. This is actually what it looks like. It looks like like a Star Wars, you know, what was it, episode, the, the second one, uh, where Han Solo gets frozen in the ice or carbonite or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it is a crazy, crazy landscape. So if you ever get a, you know, if you're, if you're a landscape photographer, and you love these scenes and you love great light, you got to get over to Iceland. It is just a magnificent, magnificent uh, 
seen to see. You've seen uh, photos by me and by Farah, and you've seen a photo of Peter. Now let's look at some real <laughs> photography. We try to be photographers. We are not paid professionals. We build websites and, and whatnot and educate photographers. But the PDN30, uh, PDN, of course, being one of the venerable publications, Photo District News, launches their 30 photographers, new and emerging photographers to watch. First of all, as always, the, the choices are fantastic. Uh, really great photographers, really great work. I mean, there's a few that I was like, eh, I could go either way. But for the most part, you're always like, wow, these are great photographers. And the other thing, I want to give a shout out to PDN, man. Really, really nice website. Super easy to navigate. The images look great. You know, uh, everybody's sort of taking um, UI, user interface, and UX, user experience, more to heart. The photos look great. It's easier to navigate. I want to show you some of my favorites. Bobby Doherty, who uh, is now a staff photographer for New York Magazine, um, and New York Magazine, Jody Kwan over there is the DOP. We just love uh, this stuff. But he's just got a really quirky style. Um, and the one thing I'll say about the PDN sort of new and emerging, I guess, you know, a lot of these photographers have been around for years, so they're not really new and they're not really emerging. I mean, maybe not years, but, you know, they could be around for three to five years and now they're, they're on the list. So some of the names uh, end up being very familiar, but I love Bobby's stuff. There's kind of a, there's a sense of humor that is happening with a lot of these images. They're really great product photography going on. Um, and it's just, you know, the, there's kind of a, 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 a saturated quality and kind of a harder light quality to a lot of his images. Um, obviously, some retouching done on, on a lot of the product images, but they look great. You know, Bobby's stuff is, is fantastic. Another person that I, I hadn't seen before, uh, Diana Marcosian here, a photojournalist uh, based in... Uh, Myanmar right now but born in Moscow and just has a really nice sense of composition and light uh, great photojournalism stuff this is all on the PDN site in case you want to check it out and we also have all the links on blog.photoshelter.com Kiana Hayeri or Kiana Hayeri from Tehran shooting in Tehran of course uh, to us here in the in the West uh, particularly in the US Iran seems like a very very uh, strange and authoritative regime type of place and to have a native taking photos in there um, and seeing images that look not that dissimilar from what we might see in America but obviously there's something different about it I just love this photo and a couple other ones you know of course you might have heard of the Rhodes the husband and wife team we are the Rhodes represented by uh, and Julian Bernstein, really, really great commercial lifestyle photography, self-taught photographers. These guys have been around for a couple years, and they really blew up. Uh, I think they did a big Sony campaign. They've had a, a number of large commercial campaigns, but a really nice style, contemporary style to them. And if I'm re remembering this, the story correctly, these guys were wedding photographers, and they decided that they wanted to reinvent themselves. So they hired a photo consultant who I can't remember which one but one of the you know one of the big photo consultants around they worked for a year to develop a, a portfolio and then they came out uh, I want to say maybe three years ago all guns blazing 
And boy, if you want to shoot sort of, you know, Coca-Cola ads or uh, ads of that ilk, then you want to check out We Are The Roads. So congratulations to all of the photographers in the PDN30. Congratulations to PDN for a great website and continuing a trend of having great photography. We have, for the past two weeks, been talking about the World Press Photo Awards. John Stanmeyer, his winning image called Signal won. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of discussion about World Press Photo in the past two weeks, in part because, you know, it was such a great image, in my opinion, such a different image. A lot of people were saying it's not a hard news image. It's more of a soft image. Okay, that's fine. I still thought it was a great image, and I thought that uh, the as interesting as the selection was also this whole controversy over 8% of the finalists being eliminated due to manipulation. Well, all of that aside, we thought we were done talking about it, and then our friend, actually he's not our friend at all, Perez Hilton, celebrity blogger, wrote a whole piece. You know, the guy publishes 20 times a, a day, so you can't take anything he, he says uh, too seriously. Uh, but this piece is called, Look at What's Been Called the Best Photo of the Year. And he sort of berates in a very snarky Perez sort of way, like, oh wow, this photo is so great. And then he says, you know what should have won, or he implies what was as good a photo was the photo of Kim Kardashian's butt, her selfie. Um, and if you want to see that, you can go on our our blog as well. I wrote a little commentary about this yesterday. It's not even worth mentioning, but if you want a, a laugh at, at sort of the ignorance of what sh who, who, a guy who should be smart, he graduated from NYU in 2000 uh, with a degree in something, uh, has made his name by being kind of a jerk, um, even though he's toned it down in the past uh, few years, but you know, my discussion yesterday was about sort of visual literacy and for him to sort of poo-poo this photo without understanding the context of both how it was made, what's going on in the scene, and the history of World Press Photo is obviously a little silly. But we're not going to get our underwear all up in a bunch over what Perez Hilton says. He's not a part of the pro photography uh, industry. But it's always fun. I guess it's a little self-effacing to, to see this stuff going on there. Uh, no surprise that all the major camera manufacturers, Canon, Nikon, Sony, and Fuji, are all predicting declines in sales of cameras and DSLRs, mirrorless and DSLRs, for those of you who are saying, oh, maybe it's just a DSLR decline. The profits of these companies have been propped up because the yen has been weak, so, uh, you know, people are, 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 the exchange rates affect that. But that's not getting past the, the analysts, uh, of course. Canon says it's going to pull out of the subcompact or the compact range, the low-end compact range camera game, that is any camera under $200, which in my estimation makes total sense because look at the cameras we have on our phones nowadays. You know, the iPhone 5S has remarkable low-light capabilities, has the slow-mo video, I think it's 100 frames per second, which is just a blast to, to work with. The Nokia has a, a, what, a 41 megapixel camera. Sony just came out with a, a new camera that's, I think, in the 30 megapixel range. There's no need 
anymore to have a $200 compact dedicated camera because your phone can do it all. So a lot of changes going on for these camera manufacturers. This week, Nikon released their D4S. Now, I'm the owner of a Nikon D4, which I love. Uh, I don't really use all the, the functions all the time because I'm not a sports photographer and I'm obviously not a full-time photojournalist. I'm not even a part-time photojournalist. I like to take photos of my friends. I do use a high frame rate sometimes when, you know, during the summer we're playing sports. And I, I love the high ISO. So I read some of the specs. It's the same old 16 megapixel. The body hasn't changed. The battery life has been improved, etc. And then, you know, I sent a note to a couple USA Today photographers because they had access to these cameras at the Sochi Olympics. And I said, what's the deal? It seems sort of like an incremental improvement. They've raised the price from, you know, essentially $6,000 to $6,500. Do, do you really want to upgrade this camera? And talking to these two guys who, of course, do shoot sports and news and spot news and hardcore news stories for a living, they said, okay, the two things that actually make a difference, like forget the fact that the shutter moves a little faster so the blackout is less. For those of you who are like really into the, 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 the technology of the camera, they said the two major improvements are, number one, that extra ISO performance. So now you can go up to ISO 409,000, which is obviously ridiculous. But the native, the native support goes up to 25,000 ISO. And they said it's all very, very usable. Now, this is amazing because I remember, you know, back with my first D1X in 2001, 2002, being really scared to go to ISO 1600. So in the span of about 13 years, we, we went from really crappy, unusable 1600 to very usable 25,000. And some of the images that I was seeing from Sochi were shot at ISO 10,000. And one of the uh, the... USA Today guy says, I was shooting at 6400 the whole time and, and had no problems that looked, you know, clear as daylight because obviously a lot of the venues, you know, they're lit for TV, but they're not necessarily lit for stills. Um, so they just love that extra ISO performance. And then the other thing they said is Nikon redid all of the autofocus algorithms and they said the autofocus is amazing. Now, if you're like me, and even with the best autofocus system, you have trouble focusing still life sometimes, which embarrassingly happens to me. I probably couldn't tell the difference between the new algorithm. But for guys who shoot sports for a living, where they're focused on a subject, and then the subject is moving around, and then someone's moving in front of that subject, you know, to say that, wow, this was sort of mind-blowing, yet, you know, if you're a gearhead, you kind of want to uh, upgrade your camera, but I'm going to resist. I don't need it. I'm going to resist. I would love to have that extra stop of light, but it's not going to happen for $6,500. DP Review obviously has great information on all the cameras coming out. They also did an interview with some of the Nikon executives, the takeaway being, quote, our cameras need to evolve. Um, and yeah, they, they certainly do need to evolve. You know, they did say, they, they had some interesting information about sort of cultural differences in the ways that people use cameras. So, for example, video functions are huge for people in the West, but not really that huge for people in the East. So, uh, 
they while they do think that you know in three to five years the cameras are going to need to support very very good video there's going to continue to be the hybridization of the photographer being a video videographer as well as being a still photographer and seeing 4K and 8K natively in the cameras they do say right now that the average Japanese photographer for example doesn't think to turn on the video function on the camera they also said sales of the Nikon DF have been very strong whereas the sales of their ILC camera um, which is their V series has not been as strong uh, for various reasons and the you know the interesting thing they said about that was that people still equate size of the camera with quality so they said even if you have a really good small compact ILC camera like the V1 that Nikon makes people will still automatically think that the DSLR just because it's bigger is going to produce a better image and they blame that perception for one of the reasons that their category of ILC cameras hasn't done as well pretty interesting Petapixel reports that some iStock photographers were told that they were overpaid. They apparently found that they miscalculated royalties at the end of last year. So if you felt like you're an iStock photographer and you made a lot of money uh, more than usual, it was probably because of this accounting error. iStock Photo is saying 9,000 of their contributors were affected, down from the initial... Uh, count of 25,000 so at least they got the number down and they said that what they're gonna do is over the next six months they're gonna take out money from the royalty check so whatever they overpaid you they're gonna divide by six and every month they're gonna take that out of your royalty check for the next six months this of course assumes that your royalty check is of at least that amount of course iStock contributors who only get 15% of the sale are a little bit up in arms about the whole thing as you might imagine accounting errors happen of course I think the complaint that a lot of people are having the forum if you go over to, to uh, the iStock forum is that there's a, a representative from iStock answering a lot of the questions and then being a little defensive on the boards like don't assume that you know what's going on da, 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 but you know Here's a situation where if you're not giving people the information, then of course they're going to speculate as to what's happening, and then you cannot go back and be defensive about the speculation. So, you know, I feel for a company that makes an accounting error, you know, you can say what you want about, well, they have a ton of money and they're making a lot of money and, and whatnot, but, you know, someone's going to get into hot water for that. You, you got to feel for that person's job. They they obviously got to do a better job. They 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 have a bit of a PR uh, fiasco on their hands. But you know, you're a large corporation. You got to know how to deal with that fallout. The uh, NASA, which obviously takes a lot of photos from space, they released a photo uh, showing North Korea at night and compared it with neighboring South Korea South Korea Seoul being very very close to the border of North Korea I was in Seoul maybe two years ago and I think the border is something like within 20 to 30 miles if not closer to North Korea and if you look at this satellite image it's pretty staggering to see this night image to see how dark North Korea is now 
On the one hand, if North Korea was high enough to see the northern lights, then maybe you do want to be in North Korea because you wouldn't suffer the light pollution uh, that you would otherwise, but it's not high enough to see the northern lights. So what can we say? We can say North Korea has a brutal authoritative regime and uh, they don't have a whole lot of resources so they can't keep the lights burning at night. That's pretty crazy to see that at night. I came across also uh, at patatucciphoto.com some really incredible photos. Uh, so this photographer uh, was invited because he's like a ski action photographer to take photos at a North Korean ski resort uh, for Ski Magazine. Kind of crazy. And, you know, he posted on social media that he was going to North Korea to shoot for Ski Magazine, and then people weighed in like, that's not so, not so cool. You shouldn't, you know, be a, a, a puppet for them and say that the skiing's so great. Of course, uh, Hall of Famer NBA legend Dennis Rodman went over there and had a substance abuse problem and sang happy birthday to Kim Jong-un and all this weird stuff. So, you know, you shouldn't really go over to North Korea for tourism. People sort of frown upon that. But let me tell you what. These images that uh, he took while he was in North Korea are pretty amazing. We've seen images similar to this before. I mean, the, the country is like barren. It's weird. But then you also see a photo like this, North Korean children playing in Kaesong City on rollerblades wearing their puffy jackets. Um, and you think, wow, that, that seems so very normal. What's going on? Well, the UN uh, really released a report last week as well on human rights abuses going on in North Korea, so we shouldn't be swayed by scenes of happiness going on or, you know, what propaganda is going on in front of us. Well, anyway, check out the images, patatucciphoto.com, some really great stuff. And then, of course, a shout-out to David Guttenfelder, who is the AP chief photographer in Asia who's gone to North Korea 25 times and Instagrams to North Korea and has check-ins in North Korea. So if you want to see a scene from a very interesting authoritative regime, communist regime, follow David Guttenfelder on Instagram. He's got some great images going on there and video, and he's always talking about what's going on in that, that area of the world. You know, when I was showing you that photo that Farah took of uh, a couple popping zits on the New York subway, you know, I said, if, if you just saw the headline, couple pop zits on subway, yeah, the impact would be, you know, it, it, it's disgusting, but you don't get the same impact as when you see the photo of this couple lying there um, popping each other's zits. Here's another situation. Dan Havlick, uh, in his Facebook feed, came across this in the New York Post. And the headline is, Woman Gives Birth in Middle of Crosswalk. This is in, uh, in New York. And again, if you uh, just saw the headline, you think, ah, just another quirky story. But then you see the photo. And this was a case. It's a 39-year-old woman. Uh, she was obviously pregnant. She's walking around. And all of a sudden, she says, oh, my God, I'm having the baby right now. Uh, kind of drops to the ground. A good Samaritan named Isabel comes over, gives her her coat, and out drops the baby. And here's the baby, <laughs> just 
Like, what a New York story, right? Well, it turns out that Isabel, uh, after giving the coat to this woman, just takes off. Like so many good Samaritans are like, I'm not, I'm not here to gain props. I'm just doing the thing. I'm doing my thing. I'm helping out my neighbors. Uh, they ended up uh, naming the baby Isabel, at least the middle name was Isabel, in honor of Isabel, who helped them with the coat. And now they're trying to find Isabel. They don't know who she is uh, to thank her for giving her the coat. Um, I, love, I love stories like this, and I love photography like this. It's just it's very, very heartwarming to see stuff like that. In Los Angeles, a remote camera catches mountain lion kittens feeding on a deer. So mountain lions have been threatened uh, by the encroachment of the cities, but they're still growing out there. They're still wandering the hills. Every once in a while, you'll hear about an attack of a mountain lion. Well, uh, biologists came across uh, a feeding area. They found, I guess, a, a deer that had been killed, and they saw that uh, there was some mountain lion activity, and they knew that the mountain lions wouldn't eat the thing in, in one sitting. So they set up a remote camera. I think they put it on an intervalometer, so it would just fire every few seconds or uh, every few minutes. And they got these great photos. So this is on the LA Times site. And here's like a mountain lion kitten. And they said that uh, apparently they weren't that bothered by the shutter noise. Of course, here, as I say that, here's one of the snarling kitten looking at the camera. Um, and then sort of eating. And then the last image is kind of the carcass. Um, phenomenal stuff that we do nowadays with photography, remote cameras, remote places. Great stuff. Feature shoot. I love feature shoot. They always have uh, a lot of good emerging photography, uh, a lot of kind of old masters. Um, and here's a guy, Hera Kuulapa'a, who has done high-speed ballistic photography. Now we've seen high-speed ballistic photography before. Of course, Harold Edgerton, who invented the strobe at MIT back in the day, did a lot of uh, photography with bullets going through apples, etc., but I don't know. I found these images to be really compelling for some reason. There's a whole flash bang of the uh, gun going off. Now, I'm not like a gun guy. Uh, you know, I'm not an NRA holder. I, I think that, that obviously, now I'm going to lose half the audience talking about guns and my gun views. Like, uh, like, I think people have the right to bear arms, but I think that, that a lot of the weapons that they have out there are probably unnecessary to protect yourself. But... You know, at the same time, I've been to the gun range, and it's kind of fun. So all of that aside, let's stop talking about guns. Let's talk about these photos. Really cool photos, man. I don't know how he did. You know, I've always wanted to try sort of sound-activated uh, photography. Of course, I don't know how to handle a gun, and I have no way to fire a gun, and I don't have uh, the technical know-how to do this stuff. But, man, this stuff is really, really well lit. That's the other thing, man. The, guy, the guy's like has good composition, and he, he understands the light, and the, the retouching is done in, in a way that makes it look fantastic. So kudos to this guy. Check him out on Feature Shoot. I have always had this fantasy of finding out what really good photographers' vacation photos look like. Because, you know, I know what my vacation photos look like. And I've seen my friends' vacation photos. And, and obviously, everyone has varying levels of 
skill and varying levels of equipment that give different uh, quality of image. The New York Times Magazine actually went out and asked photographers, professional <laughs> photographers, to submit a vacation photo. Now, I take these kind of with a grain of salt in that they're highly curated, right? It's like the photographer gets to submit one or maybe a few images. <coughs> Excuse me. That's representative of their vacation photos. And, and you, you got to assume that not all of their va vacation photos look uh, like this. But here's one, Lauren Greenfield in Galway, Ireland. Great photo, guy jumping off, you know, well-composed, guy jumping off the platform here. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's completely indicative of Lauren's style, but it's a great photo. Here's another one, Alex Soth. Kind of, kind of Sothi. I mean, I don't know that he shot this with a large format camera, but it's got that kind of down by the Mississippi vibe going on, and if you know what I mean. Sally Mann. Okay, so this is where I get a little skeptical that, you know, Sally Mann's photography is fantastic, but is this really a vacation photo? Like, I'm walking, I'm walking along the river, and I go across a bridge, and then I just snap this shot as a vacation reminder. It looks a little more. Uh, thought out. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but but you know to call it a, a vacation photo seems like a little bit of a stretch. Jill Meyerowitz, man, check this out in Tuscany, Italy. Um, the shadow of these trees uh, close to the golden hour. Fantastic, fantastic photo. Man, golden, slightly out of focus, slightly blurry. Sebastian Salgado, black and white, of course. Uh, you know what? What can you say? I mean, it. It. The. The one thing is is that a lot of these photos, the style of the photography, does match sort of the eye that 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 we become familiar with with these uh, photographers. Um, here's Ryan McGinley, kind of the warm, saturated look in this kind of forest. Like it's so Ryan McGinley. But my favorite. This isn't the last one in the series, but this is my favorite. Martin Parr in Scotland, just, you know, the colors and the composition, it's very Martin Parr on the one hand, but but it's also so, so peaceful, like what a great vacation photo, looks like it's shot on film, composition and the colors are just remarkable. This is on the New York Times Magazine, where the world's greatest photographers go to get away. Love that. Gizmodo is reporting that the rise in selfies has led to a head lice epidemic. Apparently in California, they're seeing a, a large increase in head lice because people put their heads together in groups to take group selfies, and that is apparently a great way to transmit head lice from one person to the next. Um, so, you know, the health uh, experts are saying try not to do that anymore. It's kind of gross. Now I'm I'm a huge proponent of selfies, but maybe this will uh, prevent me from doing the group selfies in the future. <laughs> you might want to consider that for yourself. And along the lines with selfies, and, uh, not really having to do with photography per se, but it you know it is. We we like to talk about cultural impact of photography as well. And here's uh, what's being called maybe the world's meanest app. And it's a selfie app. 
And uh, it's called FaceFeed. And if you know what the dating app Tinder is, where you kind of swipe left, swipe right, depending on whether you like the photo you're seeing, Tinder being a dating app, this isn't even a dating app. It's just kind of a... Remember that old site, Hot or Not? Or if you saw the, the social network, the, the David Fincher piece about Facebook, then you know that Facebook originally started as kind of a Hot or Not ranking for uh, Harvard College kids. Well, this app works by you uploading a selfie that you took. And the more people that contact you, that's kind of the upvote to say your selfie is the best or not. And you can get downvoted as well. So for whatever reason, someone thought that, that the world needed this app. I mean, I, you know, who knows? Who, who are we to judge apps? Speaking of apps, what's app? You know, the crazy thing that, that, that I kind of thought about, you, you might have seen that the app, messaging app called WhatsApp was acquired by Facebook for $16 billion. I've seen anywhere from 16 to $18 billion. And to put that in perspective, the market cap of Nikon is $7 billion. It's thought that the founder has 45% of that, so he probably has anywhere from $6 billion to $8 billion overnight, which means he could literally buy Nikon, which is crazy. That has nothing to do with photography. I'm just kind of startled by the valuation of these companies. Now, on the other hand, WhatsApp has 450 million users, and they think they can get uh, up to a billion users worldwide. They're adding like a million users a day. You've probably never heard of it if you've not traveled outside of the U.S., but it's a very popular app. We used it in Rio when I went down there for uh, New Year's. Well, speaking of selfies, the New Yorker has a piece in their photo booth column seeing themselves photographers' self-portraits. Some really, really nice uh, self-portraits of different photographers my favorite in this slideshow of 24 as this Cartier ad comes up overlaying the photo is uh, the Japanese photographer and artist Nobuyoshi Araki poking his head through the bellows of a large format camera. The guy's like kind of a kook. Uh, and so I think that it really captures his personality very, very well. Check that out on the New Yorker's photo booth column. We came across this in Fast Company, Annie Leibovitz, on getting the shot in the future of photography. You know, I, I wouldn't say that there's anything completely mind-blowing about the information that she shared in here, but it's stuff that you probably heard before, but when you hear it from someone like Annie Leibovitz, it seems to carry a little bit more weight. For example, she doesn't like to do portrait sittings for more than 15 minutes because she feels like people, that's about the attention level that they can give you. She also finds that when she says, okay, we're done, that people relax and then she's able to get a better image. She says she's no longer a journalist. She kind of moved away from that. You know, she got her break at Rolling Stone. She shot that cover of uh, John Lennon and Yoko Ono back in the day. Uh, I found out because I hadn't known from this article that the day that she shot this photo was the day that John Lennon was killed. Um, so pretty interesting information here on Fast Company Create. Annie Leibovitz. Finally, you know, we always try to end on a good note after we ended on the photos of cancer people <laughs> on February uh, 14th, Valentine's Day. Sarah sort of said, you know, maybe we should end on a good note every week. Uh, so I wanted to bring this photo to you. 
also found on Fast Company, but on the design site, Fast Code Design. And uh, the article is, this might be the first selfie in photographic history. Now, I, I have sort of an infatuation with a selfie, and I also have kind of my strict definition of selfie, which I think is shared by other people. And that definition is, for the selfie to really occur, you have to be holding the camera yourself, because otherwise it's just a self-portrait. And so that's sort of what distinguishes, that's what makes the selfie a subset of the self-portrait. Here is an image, uh, and it was taken, they're saying, in December of 1920 by a uh, photographic company. The camera was so heavy that it required two people to hold it up, as you can see in this making of selfie photo. And the image is just awesome. It turns out that this family is now in the seventh generation of this photographic business, which I think is fantastic. But they're claiming that this might be the first selfie in photographic history, so think about that as you go into your weekend. That is all that we have for this week in the I Love Photography Live. Sarah will be joining me back next week. I think we're going to do it on Friday again. It'll be good to have someone else talk about photography. Uh, you can only take so much of the dulcet tones of my mellifluous voice, and you can only take so much of my face, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm off to warmer weather, going down to Puerto Rico to try to uh, avoid uh, this polar vortex and the 12-degree uh, weather that's uh, predicted for overnight. So I will see you again next week on Friday for another episode of I Love Photography Live. If you have any questions or comments or come across anything interesting, make sure to send us a little shout-out on Twitter, at Photoshelter, on Instagram, at Facebook, uh, on Google+, etc. But for now, I'm signing off. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend.